half of the inventory that's replenished in a hospital is consumed inside the hospital. It doesn't transact. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, a veterinarian and financial planner. And I'm Willie Bidot, a lab animal specialist and a money nerd. This episode is sponsored by Care Credit, the popular third-party payment provider. They are also supporters of the Veterinary Financial Summit. Visit carecredit.com to learn more. Our guest today is Emmett Nance. He is the co-founder of Inventory Ally, a software designed to help veterinary professionals improve inventory practices. Emmett, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Emmett, I think we haven't really talked about inventory before in the show. What are the factors that drive inventory costs and how can practices keep that under control? Yeah, appreciate it. It's uh well, it's a really important one because it's the second largest expense on the PL. Right? So labor's first, cost of goods are second, and then we've got a bunch of other little things. And I, what I find is we tend to spend more time and effort on those little things than we do the cost of goods because it's really just kind of a chasm that's confusing for a lot of folks. The thing that I see in a lot of hospitals is they try to manage their cost of goods by limiting their spend. But what that causes is problems with replenishment. So they don't have products to treat animals or generate revenue, you know, those different types of things they struggle with if they're limiting their ability to replenish product that they need to use. So I like to focus on this because there's some real key KPIs associated with inventory management. But the problem is we don't have a lot of visibility or knowledge on how to manage those. And those include margins is one of the biggest ones. How much do you mark up products to generate profit? That directly impacts your cost of goods. Sales mix is another one. We're a service industry that sells products, and the mix of selling services and selling goods also impacts your cost of goods measurement. Shrink is another really big one that there's no visibility to. We'll talk about that a little bit more because you purchase the products, but then it's going out the door either as discounted or freebies or expired or theft variety of ways you can have shrink that also inflates your cost of goods. And there's a few other things like formula redundancy and then some other stuff. They can really drive up cost of goods, but they're kind of hidden to most people who are trying to manage cost of goods and inventory in the hospital. Lots of stuff we could play with, lots of levers to pull. <laughs> yeah, I love how you started the answer just saying how it's the second largest cost in the PNL because, you know, again, it's just like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> yep. And that's because a lot of folks will kind of just assume inventory is what it is. That's what I run into a lot. There's not a lot of time and effort put into it because it's not easy. It's difficult. Something I speak to quite a bit is in a retail environment, it's easy to buy a product, sell it, and replace it. Right? That math is pretty simple. Even in manufacturing, I'm going to buy one of these and five of those and three of those because that makes up one of these things that I'm putting together. So that math's also fairly simple. But in a service business like veterinary medicine, we consume quite a bit of product, or we sell it as part of a package, or we might sell it as a unit or part of a unit. The math starts to get complicated because you can't track it all, and it's not consistent steady. So most people just default to, it is what it is. It's easier to manage my labor costs than it is my cost of goods, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Emmett, when it comes to COGS or cost of goods sold, what's included in that? And then how do we calculate them? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start with what is general cost of goods, because the definition of cost of goods sold, oftentimes referred to as cost of sales as well, is recognizing the cost of a product when you sell it. So in a retail environment, when I sell something, I then recognize the cost of that product at the time I sell it. 
So that transactional engagement is what's going to trigger my financial reports. And I'm looking at the difference there and the cost of that product compared to what I sell. But in our space, we don't have that one-to-one tie. I just mentioned a moment ago about items that are consumed in the hospital and things that are sold as packages and it's broken in different ways. So we don't really be able to track it that way. So what we see is looking at total revenue in a period, generally a month, versus total cost of purchase within that same month. But oftentimes that's even displaced because we're recognizing the invoices that we receive for an order we placed a few weeks ago. So even our costs become displaced against the revenue that we generated. So it becomes quite distorted. So when we ask, how do we calculate cost against? There's a right way, but it's kind of impossible to do. And then there's the way that we do it because it's the best that we've got. Now, what's included in cost of goods is generally going to be any kind of product that is going to help you generate revenue, either through the sale of service or through the sale of the goods itself. So there's quite a few things. But I also find that it varies quite a lot, practice to practice, group to group, because sometimes the soft goods, the white goods in the hospital are not included. They're excluded and attracted differently. So I actually find there's quite a bit of variability and The best reference I can offer is the AHA chart of accounts definitions that really kind of help us identify which account products should fall into and how to account for those on the balance sheet and the financial P&L. Okay. You have an article that is about to be published in today's veterinary business called Five Reasons You Shouldn't Rely on Your PIMS. I'm not going to call it PIMS. I don't know if that's the right (laughs) way to say it, uh, to manage inventory. Why shouldn't practices rely on their BIMS or PIMS? And also, what does that even mean? Yes, I love this question. And I'm excited for that article to be published because this isn't a knock on PIMS at all. You're a critical component of every veterinary business. But they're really good at EMR, medical record retention. They're good at transaction engagement. So collecting payments and engaging with those services. But they're not good at inventory management. The term garbage in, garbage out is really what comes to mind when it comes to trying to do inventory management in PIMS. And that's because half of the inventory that's replenished in a hospital is consumed inside the hospital. It doesn't transact. Your PIMS system uses transactional data, right? So based on what you put on the invoice, it can then deduct inventory from the in-stock to give you a balance. But again, that's excluding half of the inventory that's just consumed. It doesn't transact. But the other big piece is a lot of the stuff that is transacted, put on an invoice, is actually a service package. So think of a dental or a spay or other types of procedures. If we build those out within the PIMS, we have to put in static numbers. Mm -hmm. When I do this procedure, I'm going to use one of those and two of those and five of those and six of those. But anybody that works in the hospital knows that static consumption is not real. It's highly variable. And so that means that the amounts often are wrong. So you've got incomplete and inaccurate data in the way it's trying to deduct what you've consumed in the hospital. So its guidance on trying to replenish that is always off. So what I find in a lot of locations is hospital inventory managers, which are usually technicians or CSRs assigned the task, they're spending hours every week. And a lot of that time is actually trying to fix the data to try to get some sense of how much to order so that they can use that guide. And then they have to manage their soft goods even separately and do those more on gut than on any kind of data. So that's why we don't recommend it. The other piece is, I just went through a little bit ago about the kind of those KPIs associated with inventory management and the cost of goods. You don't have that visibility within your PIMS. Some items you can see some shrink if it's kind of a one-to-one. I buy it, I sell it. But a lot of the shrink gets lost. Margin analysis becomes difficult if you're selling it multiple types of ways. And digging into those key levers 
I mentioned that data doesn't really exist, and this is one of the key reasons why a lot of people use their PIMs, and that data just doesn't flow through there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand like how, again, you're opening my mind to inventory, and it's just a matter <laughs> of, yeah, how do you keep track of what you use in the hospital? Because you can probably keep track of what you sell to somebody, but Within the hospital, I'm sure there's a lot of mistakes in invoicing and also a lot of mistakes with keeping up with inventory because you have them in a cabinet and you're just grabbing it. You know, if you're doing a surgery, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. like if you charge for X surgery and that surgery includes, let's say, the antibiotics and this is a big dog and takes two vials of cefacillin, for example, like how do you keep track of that? That's right. Now multiply that by multiple procedures over the course of multiple days and weeks. And you start to get a sense of why inventory within the PIMS is often off. You know, the other thing to note is that most inventory managers will create some type of system to try to get it as accurate as they can. So there's pull tags. So they'll put a pull tag. And so when that hits the pull tag, then it's time to put that tag in a box, which then triggers the inventory manager to replenish some. So they're then calculating their own reorder levels. their par levels for each product. And they've got to try to manage that throughout the hospital. They have want boards or out-of-stock boards mm-hmm. and different things like that so that the team can try to communicate. But at that point, it's kind of probably too low and you didn't catch it in time and replenish it. If you're the inventory manager, you're the inventory manager because you know kind of everything in the hospital and how much you go through and probably what you should order up to and if it's getting low and if it's not. And if we used to use that, now we use this. There's a lot of knowledge that's built up in that experience, which could be good, but it also can be a detriment. Because it makes it very hard to take some time off, enjoy a vacation without getting texts and emails the entire time, or to even promote yourself and elevate your role because you're the person that has figured all this out. So it can make it very difficult. Yeah, that's true. And so ideally, in a small practice, who do you think should be in charge of inventory? And then how big does a practice have to be to be big enough to have somebody who maybe that's their only job in the practice? Yeah, I'll offer my thoughts and opinions, but it's going to really vary by practice. The thing I would say to start with is who should be in charge? It should be the owner. It's the second largest expense on the P&L. So they don't need to be doing it every day and understanding the nuances and details of it, but they should really understand if it's inflated and if it needs to be improved and how to improve it. The other thing that they need to be keeping in consideration is you might be able to get your cost of goods down to say 18 or 20%, just to put a number out there. Is that right? Is it wrong? Should it be higher or lower? Are you constraining yourself? But the other big piece is to keep in mind the trade-off of labor associated with that. Because you might save $50 in COGS, but spend $500 in labor trying to keep it there. Mm -hmm. So what's the trade-off there and how can you add efficiencies and improvements? Now, when it comes to the day-to-day management of inventory, I certainly promote certain systems like Inventory Ally, which I think we could get back to. But How do we simplify the way we monitor? So using data and process to simplify that engagement to make sure that we replenish our products in inventory best practices. If you're managing inventory in a warehouse or in a business or even in your refrigerator, right? it's really a matter of don't buy so much that it's going to sit there for a long time and expire or waste or not be used, not generate revenue. It's about increasing the turnover of products in a way that optimizes how much you use over periods of time, and that varies by consumption patterns. And so how do we simplify that for people to use best practices without spending a lot of time? Because that's going to get you high turnover. It's going to tie your costs to your sales like we've talked about, and it's not going to take a lot of time and effort. 
that's what we're shooting for. So I think the owner should definitely understand how that cost of goods is hitting their financial statements. All right. Yeah. And I mean, it's labor and time spent on managing the inventory. And then it's also even at the individual product level in some cases, right? Where like one example I've got from practice is I worked in a ER specialty practice. So like a high volume practice and they bought cheap needles at one point and they didn't fit on the syringe as well. Every time someone was trying to draw blood, it was a problem. Injections, it was a problem. They would fall off. I mean, it was a mess. And so it's like, okay, pennies saved. And then there's all this extra labor associated with it. And it wasn't good for the patients either. You're absolutely right. And it, it kind of goes into where my passion tends to lie within veterinary operations. I've been operations for 20 years in the veterinary industry, and I've done a number of different products, not just inventory. But it always is consistently around that idea of identifying bottlenecks and waste within the process and the products so that we can improve them. Because it's really about small incremental improvements lead to massive outcomes, especially when you're repeating those things day after day after day. And Saving a couple of pennies on some syringes is definitely not worth it for the patients, for the team, for anybody. So knowing those trade-offs is really important. And I think part of your first question too is that what size do you get before you need a full-time inventory manager? Well, that's going to be pretty dependent on your process and the size of your hospital. If you have a very complicated process that takes hours, then you know once you get to three or four doctors, you might start feeling like you need somebody who's full-time dedicated. But if you have a really efficient process, even a three to four doctor hospital will only take an hour, hour and a half a week to manage all of your inventory. So I generally will reflect on once you get to a group, there's opportunities to, once you've got, you know, three, four, five hospitals kind of grouping together, that might be beneficial to actually have somebody in charge of inventory across multiple locations. Because that's when you can start to use, you know, buying power, consolidated purchasing to gain efficiencies and then save time too. So you don't have to take time away from a technician or a CSR who should be facing patients or clients, not facing stock. Yeah, I like that idea of having a small cluster of practices and then having an inventory manager for one of those clusters of practices. And luckily, the cheap needle problem was a temporary thing, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> those tend to resolve themselves if they're, if they're bad enough, the team will get that correct. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yep. Any other common mistakes you see practices making with their inventory management? Yeah. Uh, the one that really pops to mind that I see a lot is bulk ordering. So there's some really good buy one, get one type of deals out there or buy a bunch and I'll give you a discount. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the season, generally there's a lot left over. So that idea of buying to get a deal generally does not work out to be a deal because you bought more than you needed. And so then you've wasted any of the savings you'd have. So if you have the ability to really know what you need over a period of time, set that time. I need three months worth of this product and I know that I will go through about X amount in three months and that's what I need to purchase. Don't end up buying six months worth and then not having it set on the shelf. That's the one I see the most. It's very attractive. It looks like I'm going to save all kinds of money, but when you end up wasting or storing a lot of that product, it doesn't really save you very much. That's one I definitely look out for. I'll go into some hospitals too that I noticed they're just not managing their margins and they'll end up charging less for a product than they're paying for it because they've not maintained the cost of the product within their PIMS or other systems to recognize that they're now losing money on something. Mm -hmm. The third one, just my partner, Nicole Clausen, she was highlighting this last week to me that I hadn't really thought about, but the cost of production. So a lot of times doctors are paid on production. 
you have to incorporate that in the cost of the product as well when you start to build the pricing strategy for these products. So we've seen a few times too, where you might be getting a margin on the product, but you're actually paying more in the production based on the sale of that product than you're generating in revenue on that product as well. So those are a couple of key pieces that you might keep in mind that are often kind of overlooked. All right. Yeah, good advice. Yes, you mentioned Nicole Clausen, and of course, you've spoken at the Vet Financial Summit. She has also spoken a couple times at the summit. And so the two of you co-founded Inventory Ally together, right? That's correct. Yeah, I've built a system similar in the past and have started to be able to optimize it. So bring quite a bit of the vision from software. I've also a COO at a company called SmartFlow, which is a workflow optimization tool that IDEX owns now. So I bring some of that high-scale software scale perspective to it. Nicole has been a friend, a partner, a teacher in inventory management to veterinary hospitals for over six years. So she's consulted, she teaches, she has tools. So she's also very familiar with the fine nuances and can help every single hospital in their journey associated with inventory management that's quite customized. By combining my background experience kind of at scale in software and her experience hands-on in the hospital fixing highly nuanced situations, we're able to bring quite a bit to the table in a total solution that can include software and consulting and education and a few other services. The great part about Nicole and I is we share a passion for this space. Something I talk to often, I have not met a group of professionals that know their why, know their purpose more than this group of practitioners. They'll get up in the morning, they know why they do it, they know why they're in this profession. The problem is they're overburdened with a lot of stuff that they really shouldn't be. A lot of manual processes, inefficiencies, expectations that start to distract from that purpose. She and I share that common Let's make it easier. Mm -hmm. Let's simplify things where we can simplify it and let them get back to doing what they signed up to do. So I love working with Nicole. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I heard you guys won the pitch competition at the Veterinary Innovation (laughs) Summit. And so what was that experience like? That was very rewarding. I was really just excited to be able to present it to the group, share what we're doing. And then to see that we won that competition and some of the feedback that we got of recognizing that this is a huge opportunity in the veterinary space. It's something that resonates with a lot of people, and it's a real pain point that needs solved. So hearing that feedback and then seeing some of the results from that win, where we've got contacts and conversations going on with industry leaders as well as independent owners, just knowing that we've got something that is resonating with people is very exciting. So it does play back into knowing that we are living our purpose, like I just mentioned about working with Nicole, mm-hmm. because we can bring a solution to people that they want. It's also, you know, just fun to be able to talk with the industry leaders, some of the bigger organizations, as well as the small independent clinics or small groups that are trying to get started too, and knowing that we can work with all of them. So a lot of fun. That's awesome. And, you know, with Inventory Ally, of course, like everything we're vets, we like to see cases, we like to see what worked, what didn't. So do you have an interesting case study that you can share with us where, mm-hmm. you know, Inventory Ally helped a clinic? Yeah, absolutely. In general, what Inventory Ally is meant to do is just simplify the replenishment process. We use data to guide replenishment. We have dynamic mins and maxes or reorder points. And so we've been working on this for a little while. I'll share two different examples. One is a hospital that's been using our program for over a year. And we're looking at year-over-year results. And just quite simply, in the last 12 months, their revenue is up about $150,000 over last year, but their total spend on inventory is down about $100,000. 
So they've generated more revenue on less inventory through that replenishment. And their cost of goods before they started Inventory Ally was running between 28 and 29%. Now they run between 20 and 21.5% consistently. Their inventory on hand fell from over $50,000 of value to about $35,000, $36,000. And it stays very tight to that even through seasonal changes. It fluctuates very little. So they got much better control better profitability and more cash. They've also gone from spending a few hours a week to spending generally around 30 to 45 minutes. So very consistently, they stayed with the program seeing consistent results. The second is a larger practice that joined us just recently, about a month and a half ago. And within the first month, they dropped their cost of goods from 43% to 33%, and that'll continue to come down. They said they've saved over $40,000 just in the first month. Part of that is that they're working through a lot of excess inventory. So It'll come back up a little bit as they start to then replenish it, but they just have so much on the shelves. It was cumbersome, difficult to manage, but they adopted Inventory Ally within about two days, started using it, and they've seen some phenomenal results right away. The last one I'll just share is we've got another hospital that joined us just a couple of weeks ago, and her feedback yesterday was, it's so easy. I love this. So it's great to see that it's easy to use. It gets results quickly. It also sustains results long term. So clearly the name states inventory, so it keeps an inventory of the supplies, but we haven't talked about the ordering component. Like, does it, does it link with accounts with different vendors or how do you work on that ordering? Because you mentioned redundancies and if that person leaves that the one person that keeps inventory, you start calling them or whatnot. I feel it also as the person who knows the vendors. Like there's 10 vendors for needles, but we buy needles from this guy. That's the best. (laughs) So again, you know, how does Inventory Ally help on that aspect too? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about PIMS and how PIMS uses transactional data to try to calculate what's going on. Well, Inventory Ally uses order history data and predictive analytics. So one of our best connections is with Vetco, for example, and we can pull order history across your products and then use that information to then predict demand and guide replenishment. So we have dynamic mins and maxes. They self-adjust based on changes in demand. And we include automatic buffer stock. Your most expensive, highest volume items are going to be replenished every week. Whereas your lowest volume, lowest cost products are going to be replenished every 12 weeks. That means you're going to buy them more in bulk because it's not going to cost as much and you can store those. Other products are every two weeks and some are every four weeks. So we automatically assign that the min and max. We assign the frequencies. And we just say, here's a list of items. I'd like you to tell me how much you have left. It will tell you how much to reorder. That then creates a shopping list. So we've got a few vendors through API. We can connect that shopping list and pre-populate your shopping cart and your preferred vendors. You can also just take it as a static list and copy-paste or use it however you'd like to. We have a few integrations now and continue to build more and more over the course of next year. Awesome. Wow, that's impressive. If it's automating so much of the process, it's going to save a ton of time for people. Yeah, and by using the order history and pulling that information in, we can set up a new account for a hospital in about five minutes. We'll consume it. We'll set it all up. They create some rooms and then they start to assign those products to rooms because we don't know where they hold them. And those are just areas within the hospital where they'll filter their count sheet to go do a few counts. When they delegate to having others help count each week, counts are usually done about 15 minutes and your order can be placed in less than a half an hour once a week. That's one of the great benefits we love to see in the hospitals is they can just save so much time. Wow. Yeah. And what you had shared earlier with those case studies about the percentages dropping as much as they did, like as much as 10%. And that was that larger hospital, like within the first month. That's amazing. (laughs) 
On average, what we're seeing is most hospitals will decrease their inventory on hand. So the total value of everything in the hospital, about 30 to 40%. Mm -hmm. So it's fairly substantial. And the reason that it builds up is because kind of the common practice is reactive ordering. Right? So using that want list, using we're out of stock, walking around, I think I'm short on that. And what we see is hospitals build orders almost daily or even multiple orders daily. It's very reactive. And the primary driver is don't run out. Right? That's the main goal because somebody gets mad or a patient gets sick that we can't treat. So the default is don't run out. So the result is excess inventory because it's very hard to keep it replenishing frequently. So when we're offering a tool that can simplify that, they see a fairly strong reduction in that inventory carry, like I say, 30 to 40%. But the other big result that we see from that is it reduces the opportunity for shrink. And that just improved charge capture is two to four percentage point improvement to EBITDA. So a reduction in cost of goods that flows straight to the bottom line or the profit. All right. And so Emmett, I've heard some people say that, and it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning of the call where they say, well, you know, cogs are just a piece of the puzzle and it's equally important, if not, and in, in some people's opinion, you know, more important to focus on hitting certain targets with DVM wages, staff wages, profits, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got a few thoughts. So when we look at the P&L, and as I mentioned, it's the second highest expense, but when you really start to dig into it a little bit, when we think about revenue generation in a lot of our hospitals, especially right now, in aggregate, the industry increased prices 10% this year, but only saw a 7 to 8% increase in revenue. And that's because year-over-year -year visits are in the negative territory. So as we start to turn the corner to 2024, that upside potential on pricing is not the same. So we won't be able to do a 10%. It'll probably be a 3 or 4%. And if visits are continue to trend down, then we're looking at flat revenue. So that's going to be hard to improve. So we take the largest expense, which is labor. But labor is very competitive. And we're still short-staffed to meet demand. And we're being very competitive on our wages to try to retain or attract new talent. And honestly, because we're a service business, the best way to improve your top line is by adding labor, not subtracting it, mm -hmm. right? Generate more capacity for service delivery. So that's why I really encourage people to focus on cost of goods. For a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here, there's inefficiencies, there's waste, there's frustration, and there's labor theft, right? It's distracting the people that we need to put in front of customers and on patients and asking them to do other things. So if we can redirect that labor. Not only do we get cost of goods improvement, but we also get some additional production capacity or at least reduce the stress and the burnout within the hospital. So I personally think that cost of goods is a huge opportunity to not only solve what is the second largest expense, but improve efficiency, improve patient care, improve customer care, improve employee satisfaction, right? It could be a key cause and it can lead to opportunities for other things. So I might be a little biased, but that's how I justify it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Saving money, making it something that is running more efficiently, and then your people have more time to spend with patients and clients, right? That's right. That's right. We don't need to distract because most hospitals don't have a dedicated inventory expert. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's simplify it for them. Most hospitals don't see a value to inventory. So... <laughs> Unless they run out of something and they can't provide that service, that's when they see the values. So, yeah. That's right. And you know, one other thing I'll offer to that last question too is there's a lot of conversation about what is the right cost of goods. Mm -hmm. That one's frustrating for me, even being what I'd consider nearly an expert or somewhat of an expert within this space, because it's absolutely specific to every hospital. 
when you think about all the components of cost of goods, especially the impact of service versus goods sales to generate total revenue, there's a lot of variability. So what products you choose to use, what those costs are, how you generate revenue through service and goods, what the shrink is, a variety of things. And just as comparison, you can be a large ER specialty hospital with a high level of service revenue, and that hospital can run 8 or 9% cost of goods. But you can be a small general practice in a rural area that doesn't have a lot of price upside. You might need to run 23, 24% cost of goods, right? So, and everywhere in between. So it's very specific to every hospital. What I really encourage is that we optimize the replenishment, not try to restrict the cost. Because understanding what the cost and the cost of goods should be for each hospital is a very tricky calculation. Yeah, that's very valuable insight. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, what's the best way for our colleagues to get in touch with you? Yeah, what I'd recommend is just to visit uh, www.inventoryally.com. So go to inventoryally.com. It's got some information there. We're going to continue to update it. There's a demo link there. If you want a demo of Inventory Ally, that's going to put it directly on my calendar. I'm the co-founder, but I also love to engage everybody that's interested. A lot of these things that I'm sharing today, I like to help reinforce with those that are considering the program. So schedule a demo there. You can get some additional information. You can sign up for a free trial. You can get two weeks free, load up your data. It walks you right through it, and you can start to see some of those results yourself. So reach out to me, or you could do Emmett at inventoryally.com to send me a note. I'd be happy to engage you there. Or look me up on LinkedIn. It's also a great place to connect and and share thoughts and ideas. All right, cool. Well, it's been fun nerding out with you about inventory today. And so (laughs) that brings us to our last question. What is your best advice for our listeners? I'm not going to be inventory specific, although it does apply. The thing that I've learned over my career is the small things count, right? Small incremental improvements add up to large wins and improvements in efficiencies or profitability and other things. There's a book called The Goal. I really recommend it. You know, I've got project management certification, Black Belt Six Sigma, a variety of like my MBA. So I kind of have learned a lot of stuff, but I always come back to the goal. And what it does is it says everything is a process. And in that process, there's a bottleneck that prevents the capacity of that whole thing. Focus there, improve it, and the whole thing gets better. But something else becomes the bottleneck. So focus on that next. Like it simplifies it, it keeps it focused, continues to make things better. And I just apply that to my day-to-day. Small incremental improvements add up to some really big results over time. All right. Love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Emmett. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on today, guys. This has been a lot of fun. And when you say it's been fun nerding out about inventory, I don't get that compliment all the time. So I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you. If you liked this episode, click the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.